Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hey everybody, before we start this show, I just wanted to let y'all know that we have a new really amazing Facebook group going. So if you look for Wedding Film Academy Facebook group, join that group. Also, if you have other friends in the industry, go ahead and add them to the group as well. We're really trying to build something that's centered around the idea of encouragement and and building one another up, uh, as well as giving others a, a leg up when they need it. And so one of the things that we're doing is we're going to do pretty close to a weekly film critique. So if you hop on over to our website, weddingfilmacademy.org, you can actually enter in to potentially have your film live critiqued by us on the Facebook group. And we have uh, several, several dozen that have been submitted. So uh, we can't get to everybody's right away because we're only, only going to do one week and we're having a ton of submissions. But we would love for you to submit one of your films over at WeddingFilmAcademy.org. And then definitely make sure you join the Facebook group so that you can know when your film is going to be judged live. So hop on over to that Facebook group and we will see you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. We are recording in front of a live audience on our Facebook group. So if you're not already part of our Facebook group, you definitely want to join that because we are throwing out more content on our Facebook group as well, including today we're going to do a live um, film critique. So we're getting that started again. We took a little bit of a break from that while I was getting ready um, to have a uh, my third child, and then while I was staying at home to hang out with uh, my girls while my wife recovered. But we're getting right back into it. Sorry, Adam, we're not singing in this episode. Not, I don't think so. Anyways, we'll see, but probably not. It's been too long since theater days. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry, you're you're out of luck, Adam. But. Uh, so today with me, I do have Marshall Webb. Marshall is, uh, he was one of my first hires when we started Ladybird Studios. And it was great because um, Marshall was one of the, actually he was the only person who I hired who came from a film school background. Everyone else who I hired, we were sort of starting with scratch from. And so uh, Marshall was really different in that way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we started our series with the um, th- this idea of, of talking to people who went through film school and who now are making their career in wedding and commercial event uh, filmmaking. And so Marshall has the unique perspective. Last week, we talked to Larry, who went to a liberal arts college and got a degree in communications with a minor in film. Um Marshall, what was your degree in? So I have a very fancy degree title from the University of Texas. It's a Bachelor of Science in Radio, Television, and Film. Um, yeah. Awesome. And uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the University of Texas is highly ranked um, in terms of their film school. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen, you know, there's there's all kinds of lists out there. I've seen it ranked as high as number two yeah. um, on different different lists and so in terms of 
talking to someone who went to a film school. The University of Texas is definitely one of the pinnacles of um, formal film education. Is that right? I, I believe so. Um, they have the um, they have as much resources and outside of USC or UCLA, which are obviously in LA, <laughs> and a few of the larger um, film institutions in New York, um, they have just as many, as many resources as anybody, um, and one of the largest alumni networks in the industry. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's dive into talking about that then. Um, I mentioned that you were one of my first hires. Before I say that, I'll say what you're doing now. So right now, uh, Marshall has moved a little bit more into a full-time role with us. So he is filming on the weekends. Um, He's one of our lead filmmakers. And then he's also um, part of our editing team. So he's editing, um, you know, anywhere from two to three films per week for us and doing a fantastic job with that. And it's been exciting to see your growth in your film, we were just talking about this that this morning. Um, it's been exciting to see your growth um, with your in-camera artistry as you've been editing, but also with um, both the the skill and the speed and the artistry that you're putting into the edit. That's been exciting too. So, my hats off to my buddy here, Marshall. Thank you. Um, okay, so let's dive into this topic. Then, talk to me about um, you. You. Did you go to UT like thinking I want to do film? What was the plan? So the um, start from the very beginning, um, I was in a high school media technology course and my professor was telling me about an alumni. Some of you may know him. His name is David Blue Garcia. He's a big DP, I guess, in Austin. Um, and because he made it, he was kind of that story for that teacher um, to kind of tell everybody about, oh, yeah, he went to UT. This is where he kind of found success in Austin. Um, and those stories kind of inspired me to do the same thing because I realized in that course um, that not only did I want to be a videographer, but I also maybe wanted to go to UT. Um, and so my grades weren't great. So I kind of had a windy way of getting to UT. I went to a, a shuttle university. Uh, U- University of Texas Pan American. It's now UTRGV now. Um, had to transfer from there into UT. Didn't get into the RTF program right away. So I was actually in the liberal arts college at first. Um, so I did spend kind of a semester proving that I could be in the RTF school. So I tell people that, you know, to get into film school, I kind of had to transfer twice. <laughs> yeah. um, and so that was, that was a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think to answer your question more directly, I definitely knew that videography was my thing. I'd been stealing my dad's camera since middle school. Um, I think I had Adobe Premiere installed on my computer um, my freshman year of high school. Nice. Um, so I've been playing around with video for a long time. Um, not professionally, but you know, just playing. <laughs> yeah. So, so having that experience in high school, you know, editing since mm-hmm. you were a freshman, that was sort of the plan all along is you want to do something. You, you said the word videography, right? Um, but you went to a, you went to a school that was focused on, on film, which I think is pretty different from videography. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, all these words are, there's, uh, they're used in a sort of liberal way, you know, transferable in different ways. Right. But in general, I think we, we think of filmmaking um, as different from videography particularly when you're talking about 
the formal education at the University of Texas. So talk to me about what is like when, when someone goes to the RTF program at UT, what is like a range of careers that those people are in general thinking about doing? Um, I mean, you see a little bit of everything. And, and that's one of the, the strengths, I think, of, of the RTF program is if you want to be a screenwriter, great place. If you want to be a producer, there's a track for you. Um, they even have a 3D stereography program uh, where you can learn stereo and do 3D productions. Um, and you're learning from one of the forefathers in that industry and for 3D. Um, you, you can learn, um, you can even learn just purely lighting if you want to you know do that if you want to learn sound there's a whole there's a reason why they signify that they are also it's a radio degree you can focus purely on sound they have they can allow you to specialize and and go you know especially your upper graduate stuff mm-hmm. you can specialize in whatever you want the trick is to figure out what that is and a right. lot of students don't know that right so if someone if someone is on the fence about what they want to go to, they still have to pick a specialization Mm -hmm. or, okay. So what was your specialization? Um, so going in, I was like, ah, I want to be a director. I want to be Martin Scorsese and all that stuff, you know? And and I think a lot of people go into film school, especially going to a big film school. That's kind of their dream. It's like my, my main big goal is like, I wanted to walk the stage and have an Oscar. (laughs) Um, and so that was just something that I realized like, that was that was something prestigious I thought was really important to me at the time when I was 18. Um, and uh, what I realized when I was in school was um, I kind of gravitated and a lot of the projects that I worked on on my own, I kind of gravitated towards producing. And at the time, I realized it was more like line producing, you know, it's kind of just being on the set, maybe more of assistant director work. Um, and that kind of inspired me to like want to learn the business side of the film industry. Um, so I specialized in, in kind of just, I followed the advanced producing course track. Um, and then that eventually took me out to UTLA, which put me internships in the, in the entertainment industry. Um, I interned at Silver Pictures for a little bit. Um, and yeah, so that was a good experience. Nice. Okay, so um, thinking about... If, if that was the path that you went down and maybe you still go down that path somewhere mm-hmm. down the road. Um, so I'm not saying that, but thinking about the, you know, if you had sort of gone directly, you went, moved to Hollywood mm-hmm. um, to start, try to start working your way up the ranks. How do you feel like the university of Texas prepared you for that? If that's what you had done. I think it, it does. I think the university of Texas is going to prepare you as well as it can. Um, it really just depends on the individual and what they try to take from the, the education. I mean, I think education's available through formal institutions. It's available on the internet now. I mean, we have, we're living in one of the greatest communication ages ever. Um, and so that education is always available, whether you go to a major institution or not. And I firmly believe that, that you can educate yourself, um, just as well, almost. Um, but the important thing going to the University of Texas is you have the resources, you have the alumni network, you have the connections, and then you have formal training from people who've done it. Um, and, uh, and it's really just about what do you, what does that individual take from their education and can they figure out quick enough that they, that they, this is what they want to do. Um, my thing is I came out and I, I didn't really know what I was going to getting myself into, you know, what, what was my specialization? Everyone always asked Marshall. 
Marshall, what do you want to specialize in? And my answer is usually, I don't know. I guess I'll try producing. Um, and so I did and I got out to LA and, and, you know, honestly, my experience with, with Los Angeles was not as positive as others. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the city and I wasn't a huge fan of the culture. I miss Texas a lot. Um, and I realized going into the film industry, um, and going into the entertainment industry, you realize, um, a lot of those jobs, entry level positions that you find in, in the entertainment industry, um, especially if you're doing producing or if you're going to work in agencies, you're working in an office and you're cold calling and you're, and you're doing lots of screenplay, lots and lots and lots of screen coverage, screenplay coverage, um, and TV spec script coverage, and just, just insane amount of reading and answering phones and office work. Um, and I realized very quickly, I was like, I don't know if this is really what I, I, I kind of, the whole point of being in the film industry was trying to avoid that. Um, so, yeah. um, I think a lot of that is what drove me to want to go back towards, I want to just shoot some stuff. Yeah. 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 It makes a ton of sense. And also I think we're just, you mentioned that, you know, we're in this great age of communication, but we're also in a really interesting place in terms of indie filmmaking mm -hmm. i mean indie filmmaking is so accessible with the technology and the affordability of great equipment and also the, the platforms that we have to uh, available to us you know vimeo and youtube and different ways of getting our work seen mm -hmm. so it'll be interesting to see how many people um you know who are going through film school now go that other route because seems like to me in the past that was sort of the only track you know to move to la if you're going to do that or you know some other you know maybe new york or something um but that was sort of the track and now there's much uh, more diversity of options within that so i think it'll be interesting to see if and how film schools adapt to the changing world that we're in did you see much of that adaptation while you were at UT? Like, was there preparation to um, to prepare you to go and shoot, edit, deliver, you know, produce your own work? Um, so this is where, um, as positive as I try to be about my formal education, um, this is a little bit of where I'm going to kind of uh, rag on it a little bit. A um, couple of things about the UT film and and, and this may have changed in the last few years. Um, they still edit predominantly on Avid because, um, you know, that's, you know, basically the claim there is that that's the industry standard. Um, very quickly out of school, you realize it's not necessarily true anymore. Um, and a lot of the formal education that you get that's hands-on, you usually do it as far as, um, you know, you, you're usually in the studio space where it's a safe environment, but you're not necessarily thrown to the wolves and, and you're not getting a whole lot of like true experience outside of your final productions for each course. So really, if you think about it, um, if you take a whole, you know, nine week course on, you know, your producing project or film project, you get one shot at uh, getting experience that's simulating real life. And then that's it. And then you and then you just get a grade and, and it's over. Um, one thing that's really difficult for the, the bridge that they have to cross for film schools is um, how are we going to get more hands on experience in, in a safe way? Because they have to protect their equipment, too, because if you know, there's a lot of usage on their equipment and students are damaging it. then that's also a concern. 
but how are we going to get students enough hands-on experience that they can come out of school with a reel um, that's you know going to get them hired and get them gigs um, and that was something that I struggled with getting out of schools like I had a lot of this theoretical training um, I could take a screenplay and turn it around you know within a day with screen coverage and everything script coverage um, but did I have a reel? Did I have a website? Did I have something that people can see and say, hey, yeah, man, this guy's a videographer. I'm going to hire them to do our video. Um, that's a struggle that a lot of people face when they get out of school and realize, how do I show what I can do? Yeah. No, that makes good sense. Um, I'm looking at the comments, and one of the comments I see here uh, is from... Brandon Morgan, who went to film school, he said he made a lot of great connections with awesome people, but in general, he was just kind of bored in film school. Do you have, do you have anything to say about that? It's, um, here's a couple of things. My, my experience with film school is unique because of all the transferring around that I did. Sure. Um, most people in film school don't see their production courses for two whole years because a lot of them are upper grad. So a lot right. of the stuff that you take when you're undergrad is history of filmmaking. Uh, you learn intro to image and sound, which, you know, gets kind of boring if you've already gotten a lot of experience in, in high school and stuff. They pretend like you are starting fresh, right? Hmm. Um, so it takes a couple of years for you to get there. My experience was different because I had to take those courses even to get in. And it was all at the same time because I'd already taken my basics to get into UT. Um, so my experience was like all production courses. So that went, that went from boring to very time consuming and I didn't have enough time to take advantage of each course because I didn't, you know, I was always, I had a project every week that needed to get delivered. And that was very, that was very hard. Um, and so, you know, there, I had the opposite, um, but I can see where someone would get bored because maybe that semester you only had one production course because you still have to finish Spanish. Um, and Spanish is, you know, a four hour course. And so you just, it's, it's something that you have to look at, um, objectively. And like, that was just unique experience. Mine was, I was just so busy that it was, it was hard for me to ever be bored. Um, but I can see how, if you've got three projects to deliver for your entire cinematography course, right. And you deliver those and that's all you've worked on that whole semester. Cause it's your only production course. It'd be kind of boring if you're not doing your own work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes good sense. So for like, you said you mentioned cinematography course. Mm -hmm. So in this course, what are the things that you, what did you learn there and how did it apply to what you're doing now? Um, I didn't take a formal cinematography course, but a lot of it. So just to, but to, just to clarify there. um, But like, for example, in my producing course, we pretty much had one project. Um, And the first producing class was I was delivering um, all the pre-production stuff for a film. So I had the budget, you have to deliver the marketing materials, what's going to be the, the, the slog line, like what, what, are you, what is your movie about and can we sell this movie is the main thing. Um, the second part of it is when you get to advanced producing, you're actually taking on a project and it can be your own project. Um, I actually went and produced a pre-thesis film. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a little kid's movie called Miles and the Monster. Um, and, uh, it had, you know, it was, you know, for a film project, a relatively decent budget and it was, and it was at a graduate student level. So, um, we were shooting on 16 millimeter film, which was a unique experience. Um, and I had to do kind of a hybrid AD producing role on that film, 
Um, and I learned a lot, but it was just one project. So it was like two weeks of, of it was really a month and a, and a half of really crazy work. But the rest of the semester was just, you know, let's talk about producing. And it's kind of like, okay, well, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. So thinking about what you do today, um, right now, today, you're, uh, you know, you're shooting wedding and commercial mm-hmm. films for me and um, you're editing wedding films. What are the things, let's talk first about the first part of that, the, the shooting, the behind the camera stuff. What did you learn um, from your classes at UT that prepared you for that? So um, this is going to be a little different, but I think the most beneficial course that I took on exposure and in-camera stuff was actually my intro to photography course Okay. because that entire workshop was learning, teaching people how to go into the manual mode on their camera and be able to nail exposure. Um, and a few of those exercises, you do it. Um, you, you can't edit your work. You just deliver it. Right. So you had to get your exposure as close to perfect without Photoshop um, as possible, which is what we try to achieve professionally. But for someone who's learning it for the first time, it's pretty tough. Um, and so that's a really cool, that was a really cool, um, exercise that I was able to take a lot from. Um, and then it teaches you just a lot about what aperture really does, um, in terms of depth of field and your exposure. Um, and also one of the very earliest projects that we did was, um, in intro, it was in the actual one of our first production courses. One of our first projects that we delivered was literally just um, let's go shoot on some 35 millimeters stock, just stills, and you have a light meter, and that's it. Go, go, go get your exposure right. So, a lot of students delivered um, completely blown out stuff. I think a lot of the stuff that I thought was decent was overexposed when I look back at it, but you know. Um, that's kind of the stuff that we learned from. Um, and I think that's where I learned a lot of my in-camera stuff. Everything else in my formal stuff, formal schooling was screenwriting, businessy stuff, um, production sets. A lot of the times I wasn't hands-on. I was, I was in, involved with more like personnel uh, and logistics. Um, a lot of my hands-on camera stuff that I learned, I did on my own. Right. Yeah, so you did... And this is separate and apart from being in film school, although somewhat connected, but you did an internship with the UT athletics department. Correct. Yep. So tell me about that experience. That was obviously, it wasn't part of your education at the Mm -hmm. same time. You wouldn't have had that experience had you not been a student, correct? Right. Because they were, they were bringing in people who were predominantly in, they had to be a student at UT. It was the only way you could get into the program. Um, And well, one of the things that I, I think that it, that was that experience was very unique for me because, you know, I spent after high school um, a good two years without a whole lot of in-camera experience and editing experience. Um, and outside of like stuff that I did within my fraternity or um, some of the like small corporate stuff that I tried to do just on Craigslist or whatever. Um, that was the first time that I was like I was in a professional studio where we had editing and camera gear and everything. And somebody was just like, I need you to go here. You're the only videographer and you're going to shoot and edit it. And it's going to be shot and delivered today. And so that was a, 
that was different because I yeah. everything I'd ever done before up to that point, you had a week, maybe two weeks to edit. Um, this was news, you know, you, it's sports, but it's news. Right. So, you know, I would go shoot uh, the Big 12 meet for swimming and diving, um, go and shoot and deliver and edit that within 48 hours, hmm. you know. Uh, sometimes same day. Sometimes they needed an Instagram something delivered that night when we get back. Um, like I did that for Texas Relays. Um, and that's all just as an intern. So I was fortunate enough to be given a lot of individual work um, that they trusted me to go do. Um, because part of the reason why they have that program is because there's just so much that they get requests for. And the the, the videography staff that they have in place it's just tough for them to be everywhere. It's tough for them to have work-life balance if they don't have help. Right. Yeah, and it was it was those films that I saw that you sent to me when you first applied for the job that was what got you the job. You know, so it to me, it wasn't as someone who who hired you out of college, which typically we think of like if somebody's going to hire someone for whatever profession one of the criteria is going to be what degree do they have out of college, right? Um, but that wasn't the case for me at all. In fact, I was sort of like um, opposed to hiring some people out of the film school because of some bad experiences I had had in the past. But with you, it was different because I didn't care about the film education that you had. I just liked what I saw in the films that you showed off and the fact that, you know, the story behind them. Um, so, so in terms of like acquiring the job that you have today, it was much more about that internship, um, not even the internship, but the portfolio that you were able to show me because you had the internship. Uh, so do you feel like, what do you feel like in the film school prepared you to do the internship or was it just the internship prepared you for the internship, right? Like, like it taught you how to do all that stuff mm -hmm. or did you learn things in film school that prepared you to be able to shoot and deliver this content for the athletics department? Right. Um, you know, honestly going, I had to go back to high school and, um, my one year I spent at, uh, university of Texas, Pan American. I did what I could to be involved with production. So I was involved with their mascot at the time was, a, was a Bronco. So they're Bronco BRTV. Um, and so that was, that was kind of what I was involved with. And that was all news production. I was all just student campus-based news. And some of that was sports. Some of that was, and, and, that, and again, that was, that needed to be delivered quick. Um, and so I think a lot of the success that I, and a lot of that, all of that's voluntary. That's all just student organization based. Um, so it's through the school, but you know, I had to go out on my own and seek that, that experience. Um, and the same thing with high school a lot of that was just uh, an opportunity provided for me that I, I saw and, and did on my own. Um, and so that was a lot of that experience that I pulled from to be able to, to produce at, for the Texas athletics program, because I needed to sit down and premiere and deliver something. And granted, you know, the first kind of couple of times, like I know when I first started, they decided to just throw me to the wolves a little bit and give me, um, one of one of the larger productions that I do, which is the sight and sounds for one of the first Texas games for UT Longhorns football. Um, and that was, that was, that was, you're going to learn quick because yeah. it's like, Hey, um, I think the expectation is a little bit higher than what I was delivering. And 
I'm a pretty competitive guy sometimes, so I was a little upset at myself. And that's how you grow. Um, and, and so I think to answer your question specifically, um, I think I probably benefited more in terms of preparation for that internship and getting professional videography experience. A lot of that stuff came from stuff that I did on my own. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think a classroom environment prepared me for that as much. So um, I, I like that story, and I think that's really helpful in framing um, framing this whole conversation that we're having, not just the one today, but the three-part series that we're doing. And I think most people would come to this conclusion. Most people already understand that, like you learn way more from your experience than you do in a classroom. I think the vast majority of people who've had, who've gone through a form, any type of formal education, regardless of what it is, and also paired that with internships or part-time jobs in their field or whatever, are all pretty much going to say the same thing, that they learned way more practical how to do this when they're actually doing that job or that internship. Um, but I don't want to totally discount the formal education either. So I'm curious, like what else you could tell me about you know, classes that you took or whatever the case is that you feel like has prepared you for what you're doing right now, if, if anything. Um, oh, I, I just think that my, I'm always going to be able to lean on, um, I'm very happy that I went with the producing route because I, I can always lean on that. Um, that's something that helped me look at these video productions, whether they're small or big, um, from a business perspective. And I think that's really important, um, especially since I see so many wedding videographers that you know are running their own business. Um, and that's something that I aspire to. Um, it's really important to know the logistics of everything that's going on. And in in, in, it's more than just showing up with gear and hitting record. You know, um, it's a lot of what makes us successful as videographers and, and is the stuff that goes on, the logistics of being able to, to accomplish those things. Uh, and that is what gives us the ability to go and actually, you know, do what we, the artistry of what we do. Um, there is a lot of business that goes involved with that. And that's something that I think UT helped me prepare a lot for. Um, and that's, you know, being able to sit down and budget a production. Um, I can do a screenplay. I can do screen coverage. Um, there's a lot of different things that I can do that I've learned from my formal education that I think regardless of the variety of things that I end up doing, um, a lot of it's applicable. Um, and some of that stuff you can't get necessarily. Um, you can get it from the Internet, um, but it, it definitely helps to have someone like a screenwriting professor or someone critiquing your work as you go along to show you the way. And mm. I think that's what UT did the best for me. Um, and I think that's something that I'm going to lean on for, like I said, the, the rest of my career. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Is running your business taking away from the time that you have to make better wedding films? Do you feel disorganized? What happens when a hot lead goes cold after your first email response? Do you have a system in place to stay in contact with them? Do you find yourself asking, where was that bride's phone number again, and have they paid their invoice or not? Which package do they get, and what are their deliverables? How organized are your financial records when it comes to tax time? Wouldn't it be awesome if you could afford forty dollars or $50,000 to pay someone to take care of all this extra stuff for you? I've got an idea. How about you sign up for 17 Hats and pay just $300 a year to let their amazing online software take care of all of this for you? Before I got 17 hats, I was buried in a sea of unorganized emails, spreadsheets, bank statements, receipts, sticky notes, Google Docs, and more. 
I was letting hot leaves go cold because I couldn't remember who to stay in contact with. I was spending weeks trying to get my tax records organized from my accountant. It was awful. And now I pay 17 hats, just $300 a year, and they do all of that for me. It's like having a full-time assistant working around the clock on your business, making sure that everything is organized, invoices are paid on time, and making you look like a real pro to your clients. And now, 17 Hats is giving you an amazing offer. When you use the link at the top of our website, weddingfilmacademy.org, you'll get 15% off the list price, and it's a great way for you to help keep us making great content each week for you. If you want to learn more about 17 Hats, go back in the archives and listen to the podcast that we did with them. We actually got to chat with the CEO and one of the VPs of 17 Hats for an hour. So definitely go back and listen to that podcast as well if you want to learn more. Thanks a ton. Let's get back to the show. So um, thinking about the both the job that you have today and where obviously like we always um i think our our idea of what our ideal future looks like is always developing it's always changing that's totally normal um i think probably everybody who's listening has had that experience where they thought one thing and they sort of um you know kept tweaking it as they went Um, but thinking about like your desired path down the road your current desired path do you feel like you would do all that over again or would you go a different route? Um, I think that it's difficult for me to say that I would do it over again because I understand that life's a journey. Right. And a lot of what I went through, um, I benefited greatly from. Absolutely. But my advice to someone who's 18 or maybe even, you know, older, that's just getting into the videography industry or wedding film industry specifically um, I think my advice to them would be do it. I think that's going to, you're going to benefit the most from finding opportunities to go out with a camera and, and do it. And, and maybe that means, and I alluded to this a little bit is maybe that means you got to figure out the logistics side. Maybe that's got to figure out how can I get gear? Um, and, and then maybe that's figuring out where, where's my starting point. Cause not everybody can go out and have all the gear right away. Um, but I think the most important thing that I learned getting out of school um, and with my experience from UT is you're, you're going to benefit the most from le- living and learning. And, and, and in a lot of ways, going out and shooting and reflecting on that. And because because you have that experience, that's going to that's going to arm you, you know, for your next project and then your next project and then your next project. Um, it's really difficult to make it as, a, as in the end. Inter- any entertainment industry, but specifically videography, if you don't have the experience and you don't have the, if you don't have the video to show what you can do, um, if, if someone can't see it and you can't talk about the experiences that you have because you don't have them, it's tough. Um, and I think that's my biggest thing is now looking back at, uh, on the film school, if, if I was going into formal education, I didn't really want to do a whole lot of production sets and I didn't want to be active while I was in school and I just wanted my formal education, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the job that I have now and it would be a lot, it would be a lot more difficult for me. Yeah. That makes good sense. Uh, I appreciate the way of sort of framing it rather than like a regret. It's like, (laughs) here's what I would say to somebody else. Mm -hmm. I think that's helpful. Um, 
So thinking about that idea of just going out and doing it, now you're in a position where you're you're doing it on a regular basis, both the shooting and the editing. You know, editing two, three films a week and, uh, you know, shooting something almost every week, sometimes multiple times a week. And um, tell me, like, how what what the difference is in your the rate of your growth as a filmmaker comparing um, you know the four years of your edu- formal education versus um, let's just say the last one year that you've been working for me um, I honestly feel like the growth has been more exponential as of late Again, alluding to what I said earlier, I think the, the volume of the work that I'm, I've been given the opportunity to do has afforded me the, the, the experience and, and it's just so much easier to um, learn from something you're doing often um, and it becomes something you can pull from. A lot of people talk about muscle memory and I think sometimes that happens in video as well where you kind of can walk into a room and you can trust your eyes and know what your white balance is going to be. Um, and it's a lot easier to do that if you're doing it often. Um, it's not exactly like riding a bike. You can't just pick it back up and just roll with it. Some can. Um, but I know I benefited a lot from making a commitment to do more. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's important. I think the the other element of what is important is... The aspect of you're not you're not doing this on an island either. So maybe mm-hmm. speak to that a little bit about how things have developed for you in not just making your own work um, independently, but producing that as a part of this team and you know with uh, you know with my leadership and critique. Like what what the difference has been there mm-hmm. versus if you had sort of just tried to produce a bunch of work on your on your own. Yeah, on my own, it'd be a lot harder, um, you know, without without the resources of working with you um, and then working with the other great uh, videography staff that we have in place with Taylor, Nick, um, lots of second shooters that we work with. They all help. And they all, I learn from everybody, you know, um, you see different ways of going about different shots and different perspectives. And I think the, the, the biggest thing is having someone to tell me that, it, that you, you can do better. Mm. Um, I think that is something that is really invaluable. Um, a lot of people don't handle criticism well. Um, and it's not always great. And, 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 not, and sometimes self-reflection can only go so far because um, this is, even if you have your own business and your sole one-man show videographer, you shoot and edit, I think it's really difficult for you to grow without a little bit of critique from another person to kind of show you like, Hey, maybe you could tweak this and whether you learn, whether you take that advice or learn from it or not. Um, I think that's something that I've benefited a ton from being able to, um, have more self-reflection, but also have the resources with Ladybird, um, and a lot of really great artists surrounded with me in a collaborative environment, um, to really be able to hone my craft with, with notes. I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, every screenwriter, they talk about it, you know, it's like kind of think about it that way. No, no screenplay is ever done without just hours and hours and hours of notes. And a lot of times I think honing our craft 
we have to think about it that way. And, you know, it's really difficult to have it edit perfect the first time without showing it to somebody and see what their eyes see. Mm. Um, and I think if you, if you approach everything like that, um, like I'm trying to, it's, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I love what we're trying to do with the consist the hopefully uh, renewed consistency now that um, I'm past the first few weeks of my uh, son being born it, with the <laughs> with the uh, the film critique that we're doing and and in the last couple that we did um, you know were people who were uh, more admittedly um, you know kind of in the earlier stages and and this time we have someone who's a little bit more experienced. Um, who I'm going to do a critique of. And so that's going to be a really different experience from the last two that we did. But I think regardless of the level of experience, the level of, of skill and talent and whatever it is, I think it's always important that we have people in our lives who can speak to the, the quality of work and with us in a frank, honest way. And because we're always, all of us have people who, Uh, can pat us on the back and say, you're doing an awesome job. And that's great. That's encouraging. That's helpful. Um, And in, in, you know, giving us motivation to move forward. I also think that in addition to that, having someone who is uh, your peer or who is someone who you look up to in your field that can give you that encouragement, but also say, here's, here's where we need to work on, you know, getting better footage. Here's where we need to think about your composition more. Here's where we're thinking about your composition in terms of, um, you know, of the light that's in the room. Here's how we're going to, you know, uh, work on your white balance. Um, here's how we need to work on your storytelling on the footage that you capture on the, the, the audio that you're capturing, whatever the case is having someone who can know what they're talking about and uh, be be honest with you in a way that is only looking out for your best interests. They're not trying to dog you, but they're looking out for your best interests. I feel like regardless of where you are, that's always critical. So, yeah, I think, anyways, that's my little sermon of the day. But, but I think uh, that goes along with what we're able to do in this team environment that is difficult for most uh, wedding filmmakers because they don't have a team. If they do have a team, it's maybe a husband and wife. And I know a lot of people who have a husband and wife dynamic are able to do that for each other. Um, and that's really helpful too. But I think having someone who's outside, who's detached from it, have them critique your work, I think can be super beneficial. So regardless of again where you are whether you submit a request and hopefully get chosen to do the live film critique in the wedding film academy facebook group or whether you reach out to a friend in the industry and ask them to do that you know build a relationship with another filmmaker Uh, when i moved to austin i did this with my buddy jake where we would watch each other's films you know once or twice a month um, or once, yeah, on some side of sort of regular basis, we would watch each other's films and give each other a critique. And I remember having experiencing a tremendous amount of growth during the time that we were doing that. And uh, so I, I think having other eyes and not, not that we're shooting to please other filmmakers, 
um, because I think we can sort of get in that trap, but that we're, we're having other perspectives from people who we trust and who know what they're talking about. I think that can still be really helpful without having to feel like we're shooting for those other filmmakers because we're not, we're shooting for our clients, but it's a way to improve what we can do for our clients, I think. So, um, okay. So let's think about, um, I, I think it's important to think about not just sort of reflecting on the past, but in terms of like moving forward for you, because you, you've done a tremendous job in the last, um, you know, couple of years of moving forward, but even in the last few months, as you've moved from, um, you know, more part-time to more full-time, you've had a tremendous amount of growth in what you're able to do. Um, and you, you continue to have bigger goals. You know, what, earlier when we were talking this morning um, in your editing suite, uh, we were talking about, you know, I was sort of giving you some encouragement about what you've, what you've been able to do. Um, and... Uh, your response was something like, you know, well, here's all the other things that I'm looking at in my footage that I want to be doing better. Um, here's all the different ways that I want to grow as a filmmaker. And so I always appreciate, you know, that perspective of wanting continued growth, um, even in the midst of encouragement about the growth that you've done so far. So you, you're, you're aiming, you're aiming further than what you're doing now, which is always important. Um, Talk to me about what you feel like are the best ways for you to grow in the, the, in the trajectory of where you want to head long-term in life, you know, 10, 15 years down the road where you see yourself and what's the continued education path to get um, headed in that direction. I think, um, a lot of what I want to invest in, um, going forward again is, is obviously continuing to get experience. Um, my goal now is, you know, I've, I spent a couple of years uh, out of school having to work other in another industry, right? I mean, every, everyone, not everybody, but a lot of videographers have that experience and they still do. They have the nine to five, right? Mine was a little bit more of a nine to whenever they wanted me to work because I worked retail for uh, AT&T. Um, and so that was, that was my main experience, you know, just paying the bills the last couple of years. Um, and so recently when I can move to part-time there and a little bit more full-time here. Um, and I think my trajectory now, now that I've been able to accomplish that feat, which is a feat in itself, um, my goal now is continuing the volume of work, but also my main focus is to remain humble through all of it and try to just continue to be better. Um, but I think we talked about it in, you know, the previous podcast this week um, that came out this past Tuesday. You know, we talked about workshops. And I think that's something that I want to start investing in for myself. Um, taking, you know, Linda courses on Adobe After Effects. And we talked about that this morning. I was like, I would love to be able to know motion graphics because I've had After Effects for close to seven years now. And, you know, that's such an important tool um, to be able to know and be able to do that myself. Um just things like that. There's always something to learn um, or there's always something to be better at. And, and I think my main focus, just to summarize it all up, is is to try to do my best to kind of 
always be hungry and always be willing to try to be better. And I think if I do that, um, that's going to, that's going to reflect in my work and that'll reflect in the amount of work that I'm given. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's wise. I think one of the things that we're all sort of prone to lean towards when we think about how we want to invest in ourselves is we typically lean towards, I'm going to buy a new camera. I'm going to buy a new lens, new audio gear, whatever. And, you know, depending on where you're at, some of those investments can be important, um, but not nearly as important as continuing our education, continue our growth as filmmakers, utilizing, you know, that aspect of investing in ourselves so that we can make the most of the gear that we do have um, rather than, you know, producing the same old work just with a slightly sharper image um, or slightly shallower depth of field. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those things are nice, but far more important is the education that we can put behind ourselves so that we, you know, are becoming better filmmakers. We're becoming better storytellers. We're producing a better image in camera. We're furthering our editing techniques and styles. And so I think, yeah, I think it's really wise to be thinking more in those terms. And of course, you know, we were nerding out earlier thinking about what cameras, uh, you know, you might want down the road and that kind of stuff too, which, you know, (laughs) which, which we all do, you know? Um, but I think having that perspective of, um, thinking about who are the people that I want to learn from and, you know, going and taking those workshops you mentioned Swarcezi earlier he just he's teaching uh one of the master classes now right yep so uh, you know we're living an amazing time where we are um some of these people are so much more accessible uh, than they ever have been before whether it's someone at the level of Swarcezi or whether it's you know um, getting to go to the wedding film retreat and learn from uh, you know, Sarah and Rick Pendergraf and, um, and, and Matt Davis and Matt Harris uh, and, and his wife um, and myself, I'm teaching a, a class there as well. And so going, going to things like that to further your education or, you know, a WPPI, a Shutterfest, things like this where we can invest in our education as filmmakers, but also in collaborating with other people and, and connecting with other filmmakers on a personal basis to sort of talk shop and, and, and come up with new ideas together and explore those things. And that's something that you and I get to experience on a regular basis because of our team. But for most of our listeners, they don't have that type of community. And so going to workshops is a great way to sort of um, grow in that way by having some sort of in-person community. And we try to foster that as much as we can online. And it's, um, you know, it, it's a great um, sort of um, addition to in-person, but it can't be a full substitute for that in-person, you know, connection and collaboration. So awesome. Marshall, uh, if someone wants to check out something that you've done lately, What's, what's the video that you've produced for Ladybird recently that you're most proud of that someone could search for and find? Oh, that's easy. Uh, we just, it just came out yesterday. Um, nice. the, the couple, their name is Nicole and Mason. 
Um, you can find that on the Ladybird Studios YouTube page. Um, you, and then I'm sure within a couple of weeks, it'll be up on our blog. Um, but if you go to YouTube and search Ladybird Studios, um, really those last two, the last two, Kristen and Ben is also uh, an example of me second shooting and then editing the same project too, shooting with Taylor, who's awesome. Um, and so if you want to check those both out, um, especially, you know, I think Nicole and Mason is a good example of how I've grown as a lead videographer, um, and how I'm continuing to grow. Um, yeah, check it out. It's cool. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thanks everybody for sticking around through the end. It has been fantastic. Uh, and I, I think for tuning in live for the, the live audience who did this, we are, we're experimenting with some different options of how to get this podcast out to people. And so live is one of the ways that we're going to do that. looks like if you're on the Facebook page, Taylor actually just dropped the link. So if you want to check out the video that Marshall uh, just filmed and edited, then you can check out the link on the Facebook group under the live video stream. And uh, one of our listeners here wants me to get a Bob Barker mic. I don't know where I can get one of those, but if I can get one of those, once you send one to me, that'd be fantastic. Um, but for now, I'll stick with the Sennheiser E835 in case you're curious what mics we use. That's the mics we use for the podcast. Anyways, we have fully digressed here. So um, with that, we will sign out and see you next week. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comment section. Until next time, keep making movie magic.